Mark. Hey, how's it going, Richie? Going well, man. How you doing? Great, man. Appreciate the time and I uh, won't keep you for too long. But dude, first and foremost, how's the heart? How's the health? Uh, well, I think it's go I think it's fine. But I, I thought it was going fine before the last episode. So I don't actually <laughs> I don't know. No, it's going fine, man. I appreciate you asking, brother. And uh dude, I mean probably easier if you recap it than I do, but uh, kind of what happened. And, and I also was thinking too, man, when you play painkiller now, do you, do you kind of think twice? Do you, do you kind of pause for a second and go, here we go again. But uh, if you, if you wouldn't mind retelling that story for the audience. Well, no, to answer the second question, no. I mean, it was one of those things. It, it wasn't the song, I don't think. I don't <laughs> think it was the song that was the, it, did it. It was just, it was one of those things. Uh, it was a uh, aortic aneurysm, uh, and and com- it was a complete dissection. We have the, uh, our aorta is a big vein that goes right from from here right down to our groin, really, and it's a central vein that goes through the heart and down, you know, through through our body, and the whole thing split basically. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was a big deal, and it happened halfway through uh, painkiller, which fortunately. Uh, was the last song in the set. So if it had, if our set would have been any longer, I think I would have, I, I mean, I carried on playing. So I think I would have just carried on playing and I don't think I would have made it off the stage that night. But, uh, you know, there, it was one of those situations where uh, a few things, a few stars aligned that night, uh, you know, one of those, you know, a, a few lucky stars aligned, you know, uh, a few uh, chance things happened that saved my life, really, you know, Things like that. Like we we were we were playing before Metallica. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually uh, we play an hour and forty. L- that night we were playing an hour. Things like that. That if it would have been any different, I wouldn't be talking to you today. So I'm glad I'm talking to you today. So uh, so yeah, here we are. Do you probably wish you would have been playing Breaking the Law or something? <laughs> One of the shorter Living After Midnight versus Painkillers, the, the two minute song versus the six minute. Well, do you know, I think it was going to happen anyway. It was one of those <laughs> things that was probably in motion. Uh, there were some signs. There were some, I mean, I didn't know at the time, but stuff like fatigue. Mm. I had a uh, backache. I mean, to be honest, I'm 43 years old. I mean, that, that's just some that's some standard stuff, especially two or three weeks in, in a tour. You're going to be fatigued. You're going to have maybe a bit of a bad back from the guitar. That's normal stuff. So, But the point being, there were some signs going on so it, it, it was probably going to happen anyway well I, I didn't want to spend too much time but wanted to touch upon the health and, and first and foremost i mean that's the most important thing but dude let's dig into the band elegant weapons and kind of curious take me through the history of this band was it something kind of born out of the pandemic you had been sitting on for a while or or did the pandemic give you the time to really kind of focus in on these tunes that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, really. The, the pandemic did give me time to focus. I'm, you know, since I've joined Priest, I joined Priest on the Farewell Tour. Right. So fortunately, almost 13 years later, Priest <laughs> is still writing music. We're still touring and the world's a better place for it. But, you know, at the time, I had a conversation with Glenn Tipton about the fact that Priest weren't going to be around for 20 years, you know. Uh, and so it was it was made, you know, I, I would have been stupid not to think about what I'm going to do after priest um so you know as i said we're we're still around we're still making music and stuff but i think the you know i'm I'm always writing music i'm always putting stuff down and the pandemic as you said gave me a chance to kind of 
have the time to get those ideas and consolidate them and see what I've got. Have I got an EP? Have I got some songs? Have I got an album? Have I got a band? Have I got, you know, what have I got here? Uh, and that's what I did really. So, um, and the rest is history. I called some friends of mine and asked them if they could be on the record. And, uh, and it was evident to me that it was something that sounded different to Priest. It was something that had its own legs and that was important. Uh, I think it would have been pointless to have, uh, uh, another record that sounded like Priest. Right. <laughs> uh, they've always uh, afforded me the the opportunity to write with them and be part of the creative team. So I had that outlet with Priest already. It would have been pointless. So something that stood on its own creatively and sonically, uh, and it was evident that I had that. So I, I pursued it. Yeah, I think even just single guitar versus two guitar band right off the get go is a, is a different sound and a different style band. It does, you know, and. Um, We'll see what the future holds with that. You know, I've always, I mean, with Priest for the last almost 13 years, I've been, there's been someone else up there, you know, (laughs) and I've got, I've got used to that. Um, We'll see how it goes. If we find out that that's, there's there's like a, there's a B3 Hammond on the record as well. Uh, If we need that live, maybe we'll make some changes. But at the moment I'm I'm enjoying having the the flexibility uh, of being a one guitar player obviously that has its limitations as well you know you've got to fill up the space uh, and if it becomes if if we need a another guitar player or something like that then we'll see what the future holds for me it's exciting to see how the band evolves and grows as a band you know it's it's an exciting thing um how the characters of the 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 musicians make up the band and what they bring to the table and how we can create something unique moving forward while taking that DNA of the legacy bands that we're in uh, and and bringing it into the future, you know? So I'm curious, man, and once you had a collection of songs and you were working it, who was the first phone call to? Were you, were you bugging uh, Scott on tour or bugging Andy? Who, who was it? Who was that? Or even Rex Brown was involved too, but who was that first, first person that you kind of showed him what you got? Well, I've always promised Scott Travis uh, that if I ever did anything outside of Priest, that I'd give him first refusal, you know, <laughs> and I was, you know, obviously I'm grateful. I was fortunate enough that Scott was available to do the record. Um, uh, and Rex, you know, I've known Rex for a few years and I, I gave him a call and I just, I, sh- I, sh- I shot my shot. I shooted <laughs> my shot. I, sh- I shot your my shot. shot. Is that a thing? You took your I, shot. You know, yeah, I took my shot and, uh, I didn't think he'd say yeah, but he, he dug the stuff and he said he, he'd, he'd like to record the record and I was blown away, you know, completely, uh, completely blown away. So he did that and uh, obviously Ronnie. Um, but yeah, obviously Andy was a no-brainer as well. Uh, Andy knows where I'm coming from. I was raised in the in the 80s and brought up on 80s music. So that's who I am. Andy's the same, really. He was brought up on the same kind of music, but he's also a, a modern-day producer. Sure. Uh, so I wanted it to be a record that was obviously, uh, you know, created from the DNA of, of that time period, but a, a record that stands up in today's world, and Andy was the perfect guy for that. Totally. And talk about the decision to bring Ronnie Romero, and it kind of feel like a, a hidden secret out there. I don't feel like the world knows about him like they should. But uh, was he the voice in your head, or why not you sing at all? Well, I don't sing, fortunately. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I put down some demo vocals and stuff like that, but fortunately, that's all I do. But uh, when uh, when I was looking for a singer, I was uh, talking to a good friend of mine, and um, 
about who who I could get in. And we mentioned, well, he mentioned Richie Blackmore's Rainbow uh, and 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 Ronnie, and it was a no brainer from the start. Really, Ronnie again, like Andy. Uh, Ronnie has that classic feel uh, mm. to his vocals, but he's very much a, a vocalist t- of today. Um, uh, and he's, he's like me, really. He's, he hasn't been around too long, uh, like Rex and Scott. But um, hopefully, we can take you know the, the the legacy of the bands that we're in, like Rainbow and like Priest, and and carry the torch into the future. Yeah, I mean, you guys uh, statistically on a baseball card are kind of the same, you know, in legacy bands, like you said, but not of that age, a few years younger. So it makes perfect sense. And bringing Ronnie in with this being your project, did you write all the lyrics or did he or was it a collaborative thing? Well, all the the music was written before any of the guys came on board. You know, it was just the nature of uh, uh, the situation, Um, you know, being written during or brought together during the during the pandemic it was all done before those guys were brought on board uh but ronnie kind of got the lyrics and he kind of internalized them uh before recording them and i think it's it's important for a vocalist to do that so they can connect with the message of the lyrics um before singing them and in turn connect with the listener so hopefully moving forward to the next record uh ronnie will be able to be a part of the writing as well so um, again looking forward to the growth of the band in that sense as well loving what i'm hearing so far man the first few tracks and i i paused for a second on do or die and went wait is that a testament cover just looking at the title but there is a matter of fact a, a ufo cover on it lights out yeah man massive ufo fan massive michael schenker fan um I toyed around with a couple of covers, uh, you know, on the writing sessions of this record. Um, and Lights Out was not only appropriate in terms of my history, um, but it, it was just right in the dynamic of the record. It, it just fit in well. Uh, I could do something that was slightly different than the original, but still retained what I think is the 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 heart of the original. Um and then obviously later on when we got Ronnie on board, obviously having that connection with Michael Schenker as well, with Ronnie singing with Michael, was, was even more perfect. So, But it, fundamentally, it was just I'm a huge Michael Schenker fan <laughs> and UFO fan, and that's why I wanted to do it. So that's basically it. <laughs> and that's why you wear the Flying V or play the Flying V, I should say, a lot. Schenker. That's, that's, a, big, that's a big part of it, yeah. I've always been a massive Schenker fan, uh, and that's why I play the V. Um, obviously, joining Priest why would you not get the V out again if you're playing? It's a, it's a part of the the priest's visual legacy, uh, you know, the flying V. So why why not? And it's become a part of, again, the last 13 years I've played the V and the Les Paul, but the V has become, I've become really closely related to the flying V as well. So, you know, why not? Looks good on you, man. And speaking of wearing the the V on stage, what are the touring plans with Elegant Weapons? I mean, obviously you got to work around the pre schedule and Ronnie's schedule and everyone else's schedule. So is is there any thought to touring, or is it going to be one show off here and there? What, what's the what's the plan? Well, we've got um, a slew of dates coming up in uh, June, July. Uh, in Europe, we've got some uh, European festivals coming up. We've got some dates with Pantera coming up, uh, and it was it was a priority of mine not to be a band that puts out a record and that's it. I wanted to, a, a, a band that toured, we played live. Again, that evolution of a band, you know, the the growth of a band that only comes from playing together live and playing for people. I think that's a, 
a vital component of a of a band these days. Um, so we've got some dates coming up in Europe, and we're looking at uh, some dates in the states coming up. After that, maybe if we can get some through the agent. So, uh, but we've prim- obviously primarily focused on the album, then the European dates, and then we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, that's a big important thing, I think, for this genre and lifestyle and everything. You have to play live. Vital is vital for me. That interaction with the crowd and the way that the songs become part of someone's day. You know, you, you know the way you go to like a Metallica show or you whatever it is. You you put the song on in, in the car on the way to the show, and then mm. you you're singing the the song with the band at the show, and you leave your problems at the door. It becomes part of your day and part of your week and part of you know you telling people about that experience that you had. Is it you so that those songs become part of your life, and just to have the the chance to do that is a, is a privilege and an honor. Can't wait to see it live. Speaking of live, last time I got to see you live with Priest on the 50 Heavy Metal Years with uh, Queensryche at Toyota Arena in Ontario in our market. Killer show, killer lineup, and probably one of the loudest shows I've been doing in a long time, man. My ears were ringing for days after that one. What? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, I know, man. That's, I mean... That's part of. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, it's loud, it's dirty, it's you know obnoxious, <laughs> it's rock and roll. That's the way it should be in my book, you know. Um, and priests have always been loud, dirty, and obnoxious. You know, I mean, the the motorbike is an embodiment of that sentiment. Really, yeah. it's loud and heavy and smelly, uh, <laughs> a bit like me, really. <laughs> you and Queensrÿche, perfect package, man. I'm glad that uh, that you guys you guys did two runs with them, actually. Yeah, we did on that tour. I think it was uh, earlier on in that year uh, we were Queens Rack, and we decided it went so well we'd take him out again. So uh, I think they're out uh, at the moment. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but um, it just seemed like a great package. We got a lot of great feedback about it, so we just decided to take him out again with us. Yeah, it makes sense. A two two guitar attack for both bands. You know, it, it classic. No brainer. Yeah. No brainer. And speaking of Priest, I know we have a new album to look forward to. You're third with the band now. And I imagine like anything, any t- anything you do with the more easier it gets. But imagine third album, even more and more trust and, and freedom with the guys and, and your input on the record. Easier in some sense. You, you know kind of what to expect. But on uh, on another on, on the other side of things, it becomes harder. You've got to match what you did before. You've got to make, you know, another record that's better you know, better songs, better production, uh, you know, how do we make this uh, better played, you know, so the, it raises the bar, you know, especially the last the last record seemed to connect with a lot of people around the world. It was well received by a lot of people. So how can we how can we make a record that's better than that one? That's that's <laughs> the goal going in. So it's, it's harder in some senses as well. And, uh, you know, obviously Andy in the band and, and behind the board, but does he bring in a lot of riffs or do you kind of shoulder a lot of that responsibility? And then Glenn, too. Well, Andy doesn't he doesn't contribute on a, on a writing sense. He's purely uh, I mean, Andy stepped in for Glenn on, on a live sense. Um, and then he's he's part of the production team for the record. Um, so it's it's the same as it's always been uh you know, in terms of the two guitars, me and Glenn, and before that it was KK and Glenn, and obviously right. the vocalist with Rob. Right. Uh, it's the same with this. Uh, Glenn's been able to contribute in the writing as well, um, okay. fortunately. Um, obviously, he's he's got some challenges with the Parkinson's, but his brain's still intact, so he's been able to contribute on that level. So we've been very lucky. 
Great. And probably next year at this point, the album coming out? Well, we, we haven't got a date yet. We're almost finished uh, the, the tracking, the recording of it. And then we've got to mix it. We've got to master it and stuff like that. Then we obviously it's the actual manufacture of the record. So we don't know how long that's going to take. That's out of our hands, really. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it shouldn't be too long now. We're uh, excited to get it out to the world. Can't wait to hear it, man. Uh, last couple of things I wanted to hit you with. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, and I think it's super rad. Your father-in-law, George Lynch. Do you, uh, is the guitar around every uh, family meal? You know, Thanksgiving, you guys got the guitar around the neck at the table? Exactly, yeah. It's like a big kumbaya at the dinner table, you know. <laughs> I mean, George is, a, George is one of the hardest working guitar players I know, man. He's always doing something. He's always releasing something or gigging somewhere. Um, and he's uh, he's 60-something now. So he's, uh, you know, he's setting the tone. You know, you, you can't retire anymore. There's some of these cats, you know, Tony Iommi, uh, you know, George Lynch. You know, there's a lot of them out there that, are, you know, you used to be able to retire at 64. Nowadays, you you know, you've got to keep going. I'm only joking, of course. But uh, George is a great guy, very creative, uh, and he's a very unique guitar player, so you can learn a lot from George. Do you guys sit around and play a lot or not so much, not as much as we would think? Uh, well, George, obviously, we live in different states. so. Sure. Uh, but when he comes over, yeah, we talk a lot uh, about guitars. We usually end up swapping gear. So I'll, uh-huh. I'll borrow something off him, <laughs> and uh, he'll borrow something off me. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll noodle a bit together. But obviously, it's only as and when he, he can make it or we can make it over to see him. Sure, sure. And, and you guys are both on the road and touring and all that. But great stuff. And, and last thing I got for you, Richie, we're an old school radio station. We do mandatory Metallica every night at 10 p.m., which you're going to be a part of. And you talked about touring with Metallica, obviously a fan, the Flying V. I mean, uh, Kirk and James have used that over the years. But uh, talk to me about Metallica. When did you discover them? When what was kind of your entry point? How did you discover them? I think it was early teens, you know, um, when I was getting into heavier music, stuff like Painkiller, I was introduced to, you know, the Painkiller record, stuff like, I, I can't remember if it was Master of Puppets or and Justice for All, I just remember that, that syncopated heavy um, uh, stuff from Metallica, um, and obviously, as you said, the Flying V, James Hetfield is one of my top five guitar players. You know, a lot, a lot of people. Uh, it's for a lot of people. It's it's lead guitar players, but one of mine is Hetfield. You know, the way he crafts and plays riffs, riffs. Sorry, uh, can't even speak properly. Um, <laughs> uh, and obviously, in the early days, he played that white V. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just a massive influence. You know, the way he he is the for me the integrity of Metallica. You know what I mean? He's the front man, the integrity, the the, the mouthpiece. Uh, and I'm, I'm a huge Metallica fan. Obviously, the new record come out. I haven't actually heard all of it yet. Uh, but I'm excited to hear it. I've heard this, some of the singles that they've released. Um, and they're doing that thing now where they're, you know, releasing a video for every song and yeah. it really creates a connection to each one. Um, so, yeah, they've always been a, uh, a band that goes against the grain. Um and I've admired them for that, but love the music. Always be a Metallica fan. And all the down picking, right? That's what Hetfield's always known for, the down picking. Yeah, I could never do that. I always look <laughs> for ways of getting around it, you know, and making up excuses why I couldn't do it. And I, I don't really have an excuse, except that I'm a lazy boy. Uh, so, you know, I you know I can't do that down picking. But um, no, he's a master at it, and it definitely creates a sound for them. And uh, what tune can we play for you on Mandatory Metallica? 
Wow, I would say let's play Damage Incorporated. Oh, yeah. Anything off of Master of Puppets, that's their masterpiece. Flawless. Yes, sir. You can't beat that stuff. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the time, Richie, and can't wait for the album and the tour. Thank you, brother. Take care now. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye now. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.